What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Two Bucks Sports Podcast, your premier destination for all things Southern sports. I want to welcome in my internationally known co-host and colleague, Uncle Buck. Uncle Buck, how's life treating you in North Mississippi? Man, life is good. We had a good Easter weekend. We got to see all of our family. My sister and her family all came up, and we had a fun weekend full of family and food. And as the, is the case with most holidays, especially over long weekends, I'm kind of ready to start back to work and get into a routine because I, I feel like we put 500 miles on a vehicle every time that there's a holiday season coming up. So yeah. uh, we're just so spread out around here in North Mississippi that we do a lot of driving. Yeah, carting them kids around for Easter egg hunts left and right. Mine, uh, as we talked about, mine was quite the opposite. Mine was quiet. It was low-key. It felt like a weird weekend because, like, college baseball was Thursday, Friday, Saturday this week. The Masters was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, obviously Sunday. But I kept thinking Saturday was Friday and Sunday was Saturday. Oh, yeah. So it was, uh, it was a nice, long weekend. I did that, weekend. too. <laughs> yeah, I, I tried for three days to go eat breakfast at my grandma's house. Uh, on Saturday, I woke up Friday morning. I was like, all right, let's go eat breakfast. Nope. Today's Friday. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, yeah, it's long weekends are real tricky about that. Mm-hmm. They tend to make it feel longer, mm-hmm. but then Monday gets here and I'm, I'm a creature of habit. And so I need to get back in my flow and my flow feels good. And yeah. so the only thing that is different about this week is we were recording this podcast on Monday night, April the 10th. Mm-hmm. My co-host Buckets decided that he needed to uh, host his own Masters tournament this weekend in South Carolina, and so he will be hosting a lot of out-of-towners on Wednesday night as they get ready to play a lot of golf this weekend. So we're coming uh, from you live on Monday night. April yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, couldn't be more excited about that. I need a little downtime, need some time outside, soaking up some sunshine, playing some golf. Uh, some really good friends coming in town. Uh, I think it's seven people coming in. It's a big group of eight of us for a golf trip slash bachelor party and couldn't be more excited for what the next few days are going to hold. So like, like uncle Buck said, we have our own version of Monday after the masters. I'm sure you've heard of that drew, uh, uh, what's his, oh gosh, uh, Darius Rucker from hooting the blowfish host a big, blowout here in her, they have a big blowout here in Myrtle beach, uh, called Monday after the masters where they have a tournament, a pro-am, in North Myrtle Beach at one of the barefoot golf courses here, very nice golf courses. And then on Monday night, they have a big concert. Uh, people step in, play alongside, but the big, obviously, the big act is Hootie, plays on Monday night. It's called Monday After the Masters. It's a big deal here well, in Myrtle Beach. I'll tell Beach. you, Rusty, um, barefoot golf is what everybody plays in our hometown course of Constance, <laughs> Mississippi, at That's the Whispering Pines every day. Is barefoot golf. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So these courses are a little bit nicer than Whispering Pines. But uh, yeah, so we're having our own little Monday after the Masters. But speaking of Uncle Buck, had one of the greatest sporting events as we hyped up last week. This past weekend was the Masters at Augusta National in Augusta, Georgia. And just a quick synopsis, and I got a question for you. But And we'll kind of dive into it a little bit more. But uh, for those of you who watched, John Rahm had a phenomenal Sunday Came into the day down four strokes, ended up pulling away and and winning by about the same total. By four strokes. Uh, by four strokes, yep. Uh, over Phil Mickelson, who had a, a phenomenal Sunday, was two strokes off the course record as a 55-plus golfer. Just lefty came on and had a phenomenal day. And it was good to see after all the, the trouble he's been through this past year. But 
Uh, Brooks Kepka had a great Thursday, Friday, played pretty well Saturday, stumbled Sunday morning, and then the wheels on the bus came off Sunday afternoon, leading to John Rahm winning the largest purse in Masters history at yeah. 3.45 so million. Okay. Yeah, so uh, first place purse, as you said, $3.45 million. Brooks Kepka and Phil Mickelson had $1.59 million each. Tied for fourth was Spieth and Patrick Reed and Russell Henley. They all netted $744,000 each. Hmm. And then seventh place, Cam Young and Victor Hovland had $580,000 and Sahith Thagala at ninth place, $522,000. Which he was a cool story. Thagala was this, he's from India. This is his first Masters, one of his first majors. He's really coming up off the Corn Ferry Tour and just had a great weekend. The crowds were behind him. He was very animated. He was fun to watch. You know, you got Rom, who's laser-focused. You've got right. Kepka, laser-focused. Then you got Thagala back there throwing his hands up when he hits a great shot, hyping the crowd up, grinning from ear to ear. Like It it's was fun to watch somebody needs. have fun. It's what golf needs, and it seems like the Live Tour took all the villains with them, and every good competition needs villains. And so everybody, the NBA, to rival Jordan needed the bad boy, boy Pistons. You know, every competition, every league needs its villains. And it seemed like Liv took all the villains. You took the cheater, Patrick Reed. You took Phil Mickelson, who has t- really turned heel in his later years. You took Bryson DeChambeau, who was self-proclaimed changer of golf, you know. And so it took all of them. So it was really fun. That w- told you going into it. I wanted to see how Liv and the PGA Tour guys battled it out and it was pretty tame i mean honestly it didn't hurt the tameness of it that roy McIlroy was terrible this mm-hmm. week he did not even make the cut which was just blasphemous i mean if you ask me uh but if you look at the top six you had rom and speed and russell henley versus kepka Mickelson and Patrick Reed. You had three PGA Tour guys, three live guys. Mm-hmm. And so it's good. It's fun. I like Masters mainly because they play the same course every year. You know, it's like the Kentucky Derby. Like you're familiar with it and every year it's the same. So you know that the guys who have played it a lot play it well. And the guys who don't typically don't. You look at Sam Bennett, the amateur, who was surging at the top of the leaderboard the first he, two days you see he finished yeah he finished so yeah. the, the low am record was five under he finished at two under but he was playing in the final grouping on sunday at augusta right and so he was well under two under on sunday i think he was at one point i think maybe at the end of the third round which i guess ended sunday morning he was at like six or seven under you know so it was a good masters I kind of hated that it kind of ended the way that it did with it seemed like Phil was the only one who had an incredible last round. And when he was seven under, the course record, as you said, was nine under. So he was two strokes off the course record on the final day, on the final 18 holes of the Masters. And then Rom basically just held on while Brooks yeah. fell off. And 
You know, Mickelson and Spieth both had good Sunday. Spieth had a stretch there where he had four straight birdies and was just hot. I mean, everything, he was throwing darts at the green. His putts were falling. So, really, it was those two guys uh, on Sunday that were kind of leading the charge. As you said, Rom had a good start but kind of planed off, and he really had a chance to kind of slam the door after a birdie on eight, but he bogeyed nine, which kept the lead at, at three. At three, it, it eventually grew to four. Uh, you know, Brooks had a terrible first tee shot, so he really could have fallen apart. But uh, Drew, you know, when we play golf or when I play golf, at least I know if I hit one into the other fairway, that's usually going to lead to at least a double bogey because I'm going to panic Absolutely. one into the trees. I'm going to doink one off a branch and it's at least a, at least a double bogey. What does Kepka do? He merely grabs his five iron, lobs one over an 80 foot pine, 215 yards onto the green from the yeah. other fairway, just like a stupid good shot. And it's like, nope, actually he's back. And so it was a Dalton. good kind of back and forth at first. But as you said, Brooks just kind of fell apart. Um, each round got successively worse and he had his worst round on in round four. Yeah. Golf is one of those games that you can't appreciate unless you try to play it once. Yeah. Once you try to play it once, then golf becomes fascinating. Yeah. It's like watching the Olympics, you know, these guys, you can tell that ball just, you know, the great Major League Baseball hitters, the ball just sounds differently off the bat. The yeah. ball just sounds differently off the club when you watch the golf and you've played it one time and you know that I can't do that. Yeah. You know. Yeah, especially to get the ball up and over an 80-foot pine tree like that and carry it 215 yards just shows why he's a pro and why I'm just a weekend hack, no doubt. Um, the other funny note on Sunday was watching Kepka and Rom both laser stare down Patrick Cantlay, who is nine strokes off the lead and taking 10 minutes on every putt, looking at it from six different angles. And it's just like, man, this sinking this putt is not going to get you six strokes back. Like you're out of this thing. Like I'm not telling you to walk up there and just hit it, but let's kind of speed it up because the leaders were having to wait on 16, 17, 18, I think 15 too. They had to wait on every tee box. For Patrick Cancelay to hit a shot when he's six strokes off the lead, and it's like, uh, what are we doing here, man? He didn't even finish in the. Let's see, he didn't finish. He finished tied for 14th. 14th, and he's up there uh, taking every putt like it's for the lead, and it's like, I, you know, I understand you're trying to do your thing, man, but the lead, like Brooks is standing back there with his arms folded, Rom is glaring at him from under his hat. It's like, let's pick this up, man. Right, and it always stinks when you are. You're you're in the second to last group on Sunday, and you think you've got a chance. Then the wheels fall off, and then it's almost like in the back of his mind, he's like, "Every shot that I miss, I'm losing money." Yeah. So if uh, he ended up with three hundred thirty-three thousand dollars tied for fourteenth, you know, if he drops a stroke, he drops seventy thousand dollars into a tie with Tom Kim and Sung J M and Joaquin Neiman. Um, a big tie there for 16th. And so I kind of get it. If you're nervous and you feel like you don't have it today and one stroke can cost you $70,000. I mean, maybe that's coming from somebody who's never seen $70,000 in his life. You know, (laughs) I'd be a little bit antsy myself. I get it. But when the two biggest dudes on tour are glaring at you from the tee box, you might want to pick the pace up. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, but yeah, great masters, great tournament, uh, some soggy weather Friday, Saturday. Thankfully there was nobody injured when those, those trees came down on Friday. Have you ever seen anything like that before? It's that wild, looked terrifying yeah. watching it. Cause I, 
I turned it on on Saturday to check the score, and I saw that it was suspended, so I thought it was for rain because I knew the forecast was terrible all weekend in Augusta. And I just kind of left it on in the background, and then it panned over to those trees. And I was like, holy crap. So I got yeah. on Twitter and saw the video of the trees falling. They caught it on video, and, and there are, as they call them in the Masters, patrons, patrons everywhere. And I'm like, how in the world did it not hurt somebody? And thankfully yeah. it didn't. Yeah, although I saw a video on Twitter, this guy was berating this one kid that was sitting and his chair got hit by a tree. And he's like, listen, kid, you missed an opportunity. We're talking master's tickets for life. <laughs> Don't take one to the dome. Take one to the hand and take one for the team. <laughs> right. Absolutely. You sued the masters yeah. for tickets. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I want tickets every year, four of them. Uh, and I want my days. choice of where to go. Absolutely. No, no, no questions. That's asked. a fortune in its own. Cause I know people were talking about secondary yeah. market tickets for the masters yeah. being like $25,000. Yeah, you know? absolutely. But you talk about $100,000 a weekend. Yeah. I, I can live off that. Get this out of patient. They got to go with a friend of his and they got these like special VIP tickets where they walked in on the fifth fairway. I think is where it was. They had four restaurants two extra bars to pick from. They had a putting green equipped with Scotty Cameron's for people to use to practice putting like you're putting on a green at Augusta. It was the ultimate VIP experience. And I would hate to know what those tickets cost. Oh man. For that kind I of experience. Even, I can't even picture it. No, uh, uh-uh. no whatsoever, okay. but great masters tournament. Like I said, shout out to John Rom. real quick, Drew, if you won a $3.45 million purse, what's the first thing you're going to buy? Hmm. You know, we've talked about this. You know, we've sure. played the game to where we drafted what we would buy if we won the lottery. You know, AK, the, all the money in the, the world. All the money in the world. This is a yeah, $3.5 million dollar purse. I'm a simple man. Uh, 3.5, I couldn't, I wouldn't be the guy that, you know, threw the double birds to my boss and walked out and didn't, I would keep my job. I like my job. Uh, I would just go buy me a real nice truck. I'd pay off my house. I'd buy my wife the car that she wants. I'd, I would put a whole bunch in savings for trips that we can just take whenever we want. Like yeah. it would be the ultimate rainy day fund. That's what I'd use it as. Yeah. Same. I would, I would save a lot of it, pay off some, some debt in the end. Uh, but I'm buying me a Ford Bronco. I, um, I'm, yeah. I'm a Ram truck guy, but I just like, especially the, uh, you know, the newer Broncos, I like Bubba McQueen's old Bronco. Doesn't matter. I'm buying a Ford Bronco of some type. Yeah, don't in. I don't want the new one. Give me that '70s, totally that scout re- Bronco. Yeah, yeah. or Give one like that. I had in high school, that '94 Ford, that '94 Bronco, OJ. that OJ. Yeah, <laughs> one like that, man. So, yeah, I would be very practical with 3.5. I'll be honest with you. Uh, sure. I would, I would either pay off my house or sell it and build my wife the house that she wants in the, the perfect spot that she wants, yeah. or whatever she wanted, and I'd buy us both a vehicle. And then the rest of it would just be, you know, college fund and just yeah. the ultimate rainy day fund. Like yeah, just whatever absolutely. you want to do with it. We'll we'll take one dream trip a year, you know, or yeah. two dream trips a year. Absolutely. Well, I know we've got two major topics that we're going to talk about tonight, our Memphis Grizzlies and the playoff contention. And then we uh, got some college baseball topics. But real quick, I want to throw one in there for our NFL fans. Big news this week. Jeffrey Simmons signed with the Tennessee Titans. He's part of that defensive tackle class of Deron Payne and these guys that are signing these mega deals. 
and he got paid four years, $94 million to anchor the middle of that Titans line on what's actually kind of ends up being a pretty team friendly deal. Um, $24 million sign-on bonus, $66 million is guaranteed. His average salary is $23.5, which is going to come out to be on the lower end. of. He's got big money potential, um, but it's only going to carry a cap hit of $10.7 million, which frees up some room for the Titans to make some other moves that we desperately need. But Hail State, tighten up. Big Jeff is a Titan for, a, for a, at least four more years. He will be assaulting quarterbacks for at least four more years. <laughs> Don't even get me started, man. Don't even get me started. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, the defensive tackle position is one of the five most important positions in the NFL. And when you have one like Big Jeff, you've got to lock it up. You just, as a Titans fan, you got to wonder if you've got enough around him, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, that's why only a $10.7 million cap hit gives you an opportunity to build some around him. Yeah, and another big free agent signing I'm sure you've seen is Odell Beckham mm. to the Ravens on a one-year $18 million contract, which seems really rich for somebody who just missed a whole season for an right. ACL and, and a guy that's in his 30s. Yeah. yeah, and so what is cool, about, what is ironic about that for me is he was one of those names that's always linked with the Jets, and Aaron Rodgers is going to be Aaron Rodgers' hand-selected weapon to go with him to New York. And it seems like the – actually, it did happen. The Ravens beat them to the punch and kind of are going to use him to dangle in front of Lamar Jackson and say, are you sure you don't want to come back? Mm-hmm. You sure you want this trade? So They've already posted a picture of the two of them FaceTiming today, but my There was favorite- a video of them in the club. Right. So I think that Lamar Jackson is going to be a Baltimore Raven next year. But my favorite thing came out, I love, whenever I get on Twitter and see this kind of stuff, I love the comment section. And one of the top comments was somebody had posted that old video of Magic Johnson there going, Lamar looking at o- Odell going, mm, I'm not going to be here. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, you know it's got to excite Lamar because Odell Beckham is a weapon that he's never had before. Sure. However, it's always you've got to play that risk reward. You've got to you got to check the balance sheet with guys like Odell yeah. and those prima donna wide receivers who more times than not cause more trouble than not. You know, he's never left a place happy. And so it's a one year deal. It's a rental. I mean, you're not the risk in a one year deal is nothing. You know, if it doesn't work, it's one year. And so, but it's an expensive one year. Yeah, and but it's what you need to get your quarterback to stay. You, they had to do something. Rashad Bateman was not going to be enough to make, you know, but Lamar Jackson feel stable with certain. Odell, Rashad Bateman, and Mark Andrews. Those three guys together, if Odell can be healthy, that's a pretty good receiving group for for Lamar to actually be able to, you know, get the ball down the field. Right. So. It's interesting, for sure. And you know uh, Odell is the fastest receiver in the league when he's healthy. Yeah. And Lamar Jackson, if nothing else, those are pretty deep ball. Yeah, so just let Odell run and get it. If he can still run, yeah. we'll see. Uh, yeah. Ball camp will determine a lot of that. But, yeah, moving right along, man. Our Memphis Grizzlies locked up the two-seed in dramatic fashion. Had a kind of a 
who cares game last night to wrap up the regular season against Oklahoma City outside of big man Kenny Lofton Jr. going for 42 and 14 on yeah. a day that he got his first big boy contract with the news that Steven Adams is going to be reevaluated in a couple weeks and like likely out for the rest of the year. But the Grizz yeah, have not hot. released. Hang on one second. I'm queuing up. I don't want to get your thoughts on it. The Grizz have not made an official statement yet. Other than through Michael Wallace, my mic check, uh, last night before the Thunder game when he was talking to Rob and Pete uh, and Brevin about saying, listen, the Grizz have said they're just going to reevaluate him in a couple weeks and see where we're at. Yeah, so it's kind of odd. You know, the report came from Woj that Stephen Adams would likely miss the rest of the postseason, which we knew was a possibility. But M.O. for the Grizzlies is they're going to issue a press release to back that up, and they have not. And so what was told to Mike Wallace may have been, you know, the Grizzlies may have leaked something to Adrian Wojnarowski, which is possible and probable. Uh, that's probably how he got his information that he would likely be done for the year. Um, but Mike Wallace came out and said Stephen Adams wants to play. So that sounds like it came from Stephen Adams. Yeah. Uh You've seen him before games and pre-games doing a lot of working out on the court, which you don't mm -hmm. see from injured players very often. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder, a little tinfoil hat, is if it's a little gamesmanship. Mm -hmm. uh, not letting anybody know when or if he's going to play. Kind of letting both sides kind of go war for each other mm -hmm. and let both options be on the table for whoever we play in the first round of the playoffs, whether it's the Lakers or the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, yeah, I don't think that's outside the realm of possibilities at all. The only thing, he's not done any kind of live contact or five-on-five five or even like two-on-two, one-on-one drills um, that we know of in the media-attended practices anyway. So, yeah, I mean, Stephen Adams is one of the toughest dudes in the league. There's no doubt that he wants to play. It's just whether or not that knee will hold up, the Grizz feel comfortable with him playing, yeah, I would not put it past the front office to try something slick like that, to let yeah. him practice in behind closed doors and throw him out and maybe like a game two or something against whoever we play. The only problem I see in theory to my tinfoil hat idea that it's gamesmanship is that, like you mentioned a minute ago, is they cut their second round pick this year, uh, Kennedy Chandler. They made him the richest contract of any second round pick player ever drafted and they cut bait with him uh before the last game of the regular season to make room for kenny lofton mm -hmm. because kenny lofton being a two-way they had to cut somebody and so Which it was just, that important to add kenny lofton to the roster that they cut the guy that they were more heavily invested in and to me that initially i was like well that's the dead giveaway that's stephen adams's spot uh, however, you know, Steven Adams is banged up if he came back. And then you got Jaron Jackson Jr., who it's well documented. While, well, while he has been better, he has been plagued with foul trouble at some point. And then you're left with, if you're, you're a Jaron Jackson Jr. foul problem away from your only big being Xavier Tillman. Yeah. You needed that extra body. And, in a game that meant nothing to nobody, Junior had himself a game. He yeah. He's always been a scorer. Mm -hmm. He should have been drafted. He was a small school guy. He went to Louisiana Tech. 
But even at Louisiana Tech, he was an absolute bucket. Yeah. And he is a more athletic, uh, a Zach Randolph with more moves. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. not as pure of a scorer yet, but that's the frame. Even the lefty shot looks like Zebo. It does. With the that build. Little yeah. yeah. The build looks like Zebo. The post moves look like Zebo. But that spin move is filthy when yes. he puts it on him. And so I don't expect Kenny Lofton to get a lot of run in these playoffs. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Yeah. I think he's still the 15th guy. Mm-hmm. But if you need him, you need him. You need somebody. If you need a big, you want it. You want to have him. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to make a bold prediction that you're absolutely right. He's guy number 15. But there's going to be one game in this first round that's the the Lofton game that he just he comes in at a pivotal moment. He takes over. I don't think he's going to go, go score 42 on either the Lakers no. or Minnesota. That he was a Thunder game. That's enough. But I like a like an eighteen point, sixteen, eighteen point, you know, ten a rebound kind of night. You well, know, when Roddy got hot. Yeah. Absolutely. We, something like that is gonna happen in the first round because he's somebody that like you said, he's somebody that they haven't really accounted for all year. He's gonna get some of those bench minutes against some of the reserves from the Lakers and the T Wolves and We'll get into this in a minute, but neither of these teams really scare me. And I think there'll be one game that's gonna be the Lofton game. Yeah. And I see that. However, I will bank on seeing what we've seen before, and Xavier Tillman will decide a game. Yeah. That's the big that if you're telling me a big outside of Jaron Jackson Jr. will sway a game, because Jaron Jackson Jr., let the record show, will sway every game. Yeah. It will come down to him. Yeah. But outside of him, Xavier Tillman playing big minutes and playing productive minutes, especially on the boards and putbacks. He he will decide a game for us if we have success in this playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, X has played some big minutes down the stretch, and there's been games where played big like, playoff minutes. You yeah. remember he yeah. hit the shot against Golden State in the in the playing game two years ago. Yep. And he's had big moments this year. Mm-hmm. And I, this is a Xavier Tillman podcast. Yeah. I love Xavier Tillman. <laughs> he is important. Yeah. And he knows how to play his role and he plays it well. And Absolutely. he will be called upon. Yeah. Especially in the get, first round. He's going to have to get some big minutes. He's going to have to be big on the rebounding end uh, on both ends to fill that void that we're still missing from Steven Adams. That's the if X can do anything for me is let Jaron be the scoring big and X just get in there and grind out rebounds. Be dirty. Just be dirty. Get in the mud, get rebounds, body up. Anthony Dixon uh, uh Anthony Dixon. <laughs> <Anthony. laughs> Well, movie, yeah. <laughs> Anthony Davis, Body, Rudy Gobert, like get those guys, you know, take their legs out, get them tired, wear them down, and let Jaron score. Well, let's talk Rudy Gobert and Anthony Davis for a second because as the two seed, the Grizzlies have to wait for their opponent because of the playing tournament. They will play the winner of the seven seed versus the eight seed in a playoff game, in a play-in game, and the seven seed is the Los Angeles Lakers and the eight seed is the Minnesota Timberwolves. And I'm curious to know what your thoughts are, but it can't go without a little bit of backstory for those who haven't been on Twitter Yep. because everyone's favorite, I say sarcastically, everybody's favorite Frenchman, Rudy Gobert decided in game 82 of his season to punch our beloved former Grizzly Kyle Anderson in the chest because Kyle Anderson who we know is not scared to say what he thinks. 
Kyle Anderson is a smart, high IQ basketball player, Absolutely. and he will tell you as much. Absolutely. And uh, in the process of telling Rudy Gobert he should try blocking a shot every once in a while, uh, along with calling him um, uh, bad words that start mm-hmm. with a B, um, Rudy Gobert had enough and crossed the huddle and punched <laughs> Kyle Anderson in the chest <laughs> and uh, got himself suspended for yeah. the playing game. Uh, however, that's big. But not as big. But not as big as for some reason. Um, And I'm blanking on the name. Jaden McDaniels. Jaden McDaniels, they're tall, lanky, versatile, defensive-minded, three-point shooting wing player, punched a wall, Rusty. Uh, We uh, all uh, knew that uh, guy in high school. Concrete wall. Yeah, we all knew that guy in high school. We all went to high school with the guy who thought it was a good idea to punch a wall once and break three fingers, you know? In game 82, two punches will define the Minnesota Timberwolves season. Yeah, Uh, you know, walls stay undefeated. Uh, Jay McDaniels learned the hard way that walls are a million and oh in breaking hands, man. It just doesn't work out. The only person I would pick in a fight against a wall is Chuck Norris. <laughs> Maybe Mike Tyson. That'd be the only <laughs> two. <laughs> so, so that is – I've got a hot take for you, and this is because I'm a Rudy Gobert hater, and we watched the Minnesota Timberwolves play the, Minis- the Memphis Grizzlies last year in the first round of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Minnesota Timberwolves – will start virtually the starting five of last year in the playing game with cat at the five minus Pat Beverly. Um, They will play cat at the five, Anthony Edwards on the wing and you plug in Mike Conley instead of Pat Beverly. Mm -hmm. That team I believe will give the Lakers more problems without Rudy Gobert. I think that as a Grizzlies fan, because full disclosure and a little bit of a spoiler alert, because we're going to get to it. I, as a Grizzlies fan, would rather play Minnesota for no other reason than I don't trust the whistle that the Lakers will get. So, given that, I believe that Minnesota has their best shot at beating the Lakers if Gobert is at home. I agree with that take because he's going to clog the middle for Cat, and Cat needs room to work. Um, I think that you know, Minnesota got freaking fleeced getting Rudy Gobert to begin with when they could have used some of those draft picks for some decent talent this year to make them better. And instead, they're right back where they were last year, no better, playing in the playing game. Um, I think that Minnesota is better without Rudy Gobert on the floor. Where it's going to hurt them is Jaden McDaniels because he is a plus defender on the wing, that typical 3 and D, gritty kind of guy, a better shooting Pat Beverly. Um and that, that's where they're going to hurt. That's where they're going to miss him. I do think Minnesota's going to give the Lakers trouble. I don't trust the Lakers. I don't trust the throw-together roster they've had the last part of the year. You know, LeBron doesn't scare me like he used to. Hot take, kind of like you said, we're going to get into it in a minute. I want the Lakers. I want, uh, you know, to quote Ric Flair, to be the man, you got to beat the man. And you got to beat the Lakers. You got to beat them with the refs because I don't know if you saw this or not. I'm sure you did, but one of the major changes is that now the sixth seed is the Golden State Warriors and no longer the LA Clippers. When we looked at it last week, it was the Clippers were in that spot. 
Now you're looking at down the barrel of if you beat L.A., let's say you beat the Lakers, there's a good chance you're going to have to beat Golden State, who faced the Sacramento Kings, who are, you know, when you get to the playoffs, it's all about defense, and the Kings are one of the worst defensive teams in the league. Very likely that you're going to have to beat the Lakers in the whistle and then turn around and beat Golden State in the whistle. Might as well get used to it in round, in round one, right? Yeah, I totally disagree with who you want to play. To me, the Lakers, at their best, the Lakers should contend for a title. It's been said all year. They have not been healthy. But at their best, and you you know, assume that LeBron won't be at his best at your own fate. You know, this is playoff time. This is zero dark 23, you know, as they used to call it. You know, in the pace that they play, the Lakers slow the game down. They play half-court basketball, and they let D'Angelo Russell run it and LeBron run it, and then they're going to grind you down to a slow snail's pace. Whereas Minnesota's up and down, and the Grizzlies struggle with slowing down and executing half-court offense. Where they excel, oddly enough, is against teams like Golden State, who go fast and turn the ball over, mm-hmm. and that's more what Minnesota offers. But uh, I got two names. I got two reasons why we can compete with the Lakers when they try and slow down and run that half-court offense because we have two of the better half-court defenders in the league in Jaron Jackson Jr., who's going to patrol the paint, and I would love to watch Dylan Brooks just dog LeBron James. I think if we play the Lakers, I think we beat them in five. Like I'm just, I'm ooh, confident. I don't wow. think that the Lakers are – the threat to us that everybody thinks they are. Like I'm, I'm confident that we can beat the Lakers. And again, Drew, you know, better competition gets better play. So yeah, so you sweep Minnesota, you beat Minnesota in five. Like that series should not be close. Versus if you you get tested in the first round, and who knows? Say we get tested in the first round, we get some playoff minutes and some moxie under our belt, and then all of a sudden we got a healthy Stephen Adams coming back for the Golden State series. Now you're tested in the playoffs. You're getting your best interior rebounder back. You're set up for success against Golden State in the second round. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I just don't agree with the fact that. You know, what you said was that you welcome a harder challenge. You w- welcome the battle scars and the wars, you know, going forward. You know, you're, I mean, heaven forbid we sweep Minnesota and you have a few days off. You know, that's what I'm thinking. You know, my goal is not to beat the best. My goal is not to knock off the Lakers. My goal is to make it to the Western Conference Finals and have a <laughs> shot at the NBA Finals. And I would like to do that by playing the worst teams possible. And there's no doubt in my mind that this Minnesota team is in shambles. Yeah. And this Lakers team just made a run just to get into the playoffs. I'm not saying they're world beaters, and I'm not saying that I think they should be favored over the Grizzlies, but they will be because mm-hmm. Vegas likes people to bet on the Lakers. I don't I wouldn't pick I would not pick the Grizzlies in five. I would pick the Grizzlies in six or seven. But you compare that to what I would pick against Minnesota this Minnesota team is not as good as last year's Minnesota team. So Minnesota, I think the Grizzlies, given the home field advantage, should beat them in five games. I don't disagree. I don't disagree that the level of talent is different. And if we play Minnesota, I'm going to be fired up because there's no reason that we should not. That series should not go more than four games. Five if you have one off night. But that series against Minnesota should not go more than four names. And that works one of two ways. Sure, you get rested. You get guys healthy. You get banged up players back. Maybe give Steven Adams time to get back. 
or you also sit around, you get kind of rusty and you get kind of stiff. And I, I'm I mean, not I've worried seen, about that. It happens. The first it, round game, the next game is at home. But it happens. So it happens all know, the I, time. I get it. But we're the two seed. We won 51 games. I'm not worried about rust. Uh, the other reason why I want Minnesota to win is because, as you said, the Grizzlies in the second round will match up with the winner of Sacramento and Golden State. That's two teams in California, and every other game will start at 9.30 p.m. So <laughs> give me the central time zone opponent in round one. <laughs> yeah, same. I, you know, I didn't think about that, because yeah. for me, those games start at 9.30, 10.30 at night. I'm going to get off work. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to come home and take a nap. I'm going to wake up watch the game and then go back to bed. <laughs> right. And so give me the central time zone team in round one, because it's the only opportunity we've got. Can we so, hurry up and do the expansion? We both know expansion's coming. Everybody knows it's probably going to be Vegas and Seattle, and that'll move New Orleans and Memphis to the Eastern Conference. Can we hurry up and make that happen, please? I don't know. We can talk about this if you want to spend a couple minutes on it. Uh, I know geographically Memphis is not the West. We know that. We're the furthest East team of the Western Conference. Absolutely. We are east of the Mississippi River, us and New Orleans. And so it makes sense if they add a team in Seattle and Vegas that Memphis and New Orleans is moved to the Eastern Conference. But I don't want that. <laughs> I I value traditional opponents and and you know repeat matchups in the playoffs. Like to take us and say that we will never play Golden State in the playoffs again unless we make it to the NBA Finals. That kind of stinks to me. You know, I, that's a team that I hate. I hate the teams in the West. I don't care about the teams in the East. I have no ill will towards anybody in the East. If you would have told me five, ten years ago that they, you were going to split up the the uh, Grizzlies and the Clippers from ever having playoff matchups in the first round, that's bad for basketball. Would you rather play Golden State in the second round of the playoffs, or would you rather play Miami? Miami yeah. don't do anything for me. You know, so I get I get your point. I'm a fan of traditional rivals as well. I like seeing that kind of stuff. Don't get me wrong. I do. But it's at the, the same, same time, argument I have with realignment or uh, changing up the divisions in the SEC. Like sure. Moving SEC Ole Miss to, or Mississippi State to the east does nothing for me because I don't get excited about an Ole Miss, you know, uh, Florida matchup. You Look, know. I get it. I 100% get it. And if nothing else, it's purely just selfish reasons that I want to be able to go to bed at a decent hour. <laughs> and noted. I'm with you <laughs> for that reason. Because like, 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 for like Eastern Conference games, the furthest west you're going is Detroit. And that's Eastern, that's, that's Central Time Zone. Like, that's still right, right where it's right. supposed to be. Right. And I'm with you on that. I'm, I think that the Western Conference games should start really early for them. Like, yep. There's nothing wrong with a 5.30 tip in Los Angeles. No, None of them work anyways. It's just like, I mean, it's the same thing with like West Virginia being in the Big 12. Like their closest geographical rival is is TCU. And it's like, that's a haul for a, and that's, that's right where we are. We've got us in, us in uh, New Orleans, and then you got San Antonio and Houston. We out there in Dallas, we out in Texas. So like, right. give me well, some closer games. <laughs> you know, everybody's going to get really excited over that, Pac-12 conference game between USC and Rutgers. Right, exactly. I mean, not Pac-12, Big Ten. Big conference Ten, exactly. Game <laughs> between USC and Rutgers. Like, exactly. It makes no sense at all. 
None whatsoever. But, uh, but hey, speaking of Grizz, man, Jaron Jackson Jr. is fixing to get fleeced for the Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah, let's. Uh, you want to talk playoff odds real quick? Are you interested in that? I am. Let's talk about that a little bit. I, you're right. Then we can talk about about trip. Let's stay on the playoffs while we're there. Um, just I'm gonna just quick hit some of these. All right. Um, for the futures. So to win the title, the favorite is the Milwaukee Bucks at plus two sixty five. I have no issue with that. Mm. Um, then the Boston Celtics, which you know you're gonna have to prove that to me. They've kind of struggled late. Mm. The favorite to come out of the Western Conference, which is not really a surprise, the Phoenix Suns. Mm-hmm. They're getting Kevin Durant back. They're healthy. healthy. <laughs> uh, next. The Golden State Warriors, who is a possible second-round matchup against the Grizzlies. Then the Nuggets. And then, Rusty, this is probably telling you how I told you how Vegas was going to set these lines. The Los Angeles Lakers. Mm -hmm. And then the Grizzlies. Doesn't surprise me one bit, man. Yeah. It really doesn't. Um, And then... uh, If nothing else, Drew, because we're a small market and they're wanting the big markets to bet on their teams. And so they're going to put these bigger markets ahead of us outside of Milwaukee. Um, these bigger markets ahead of us, if nothing else, for the prop bets, so people, you know, they can make some money off of people putting money on the Los Angeles Lakers as a seven seed to come out of the Western Conference. And Sacramento is going to have all the bulletin board material that they want. They're sure. scrappy. They've got the best offense in the league. Mm-hmm. I love Sacramento. I'll be honest Dude, with I you. Love I love Sabonis, that big guy. Yeah. I mean, guy's just incredible. Double, I also double, double. agree with Vegas when they put Golden State as minus two ninety to again in the series against the Kings because mm-hmm. I would rather play the Kings than Golden yeah. State. Like yeah. I said, I'm not worried about avenging losses or exercising your demons in the playoffs. I'm worried about winning. <laughs> and that's why I want to play Minnesota and then I want to play Sacramento and then you know, hopefully Denver yeah. which the one seed will need an to upset a lower seed and I hope right. Denver we meet Denver in the conference championship game, but uh, that's just some lines. I looked up. We let's talk about Jaron Jackson Jr. I agree. Hey, real quick though, before we get off of that, yes, one uh-huh. one other thing about the finals or about the playoffs last year. That whole mem this was a terrible yeah. playoff yeah. slogan. I'm glad that's gone. Yeah. The do you like Memphis, this one? I like the big Memphis. I like the with us. That's better than Memphis. You like I, with us? I like with us better than mem this. That's for sure. You know, uh, I used to listen to Tony Allen a lot. And uh, he used to show up weekly on the Chris Vernon show. Yep. And he used to always have this line when the, a guy kept shooting and kept missing. He would tell him, oh, you bricked another three. And then going down the court, Tony Allen would be like, hey, he with us. He on our <laughs> team. He with us. And so that's what I think about when I sit here Absolutely. with us. It doesn't really inspire a lot of passion Like with us. It's like it seems like – you haven't quite finished the sentence yet. Right. But it's, it's a step yeah, in the right Big direction. Memphis Memphis. Was, I loved Big Memphis as our season slogan, regular season slogan. So I kind of feel like we dipped, but it is better than Mem This. Yeah. Although I did do a lot of like crotch chopping Mem This in the playoffs <laughs> last year. I was like, Mem Absolutely. This. And just chopping. So it kind of it, it punched a little better than, you know, with us. Yeah, you're not gonna do any of that that, that crotch. <laughs> what you call it, crotch? What? Crotch chopping. You know? Yeah, that's yeah. good. You know. Yeah, oh yeah. From, uh, the old WWE attitude era wrestling 90s. move. You know, yeah. the hip thrust and the crotch chop. 
you know, yeah, with us doesn't have the same effect. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't. It's it's like, oh, come on, join in with yeah. us. He's with yeah. us. You know. Yeah. So. But anyway, yeah. Trip, Jaron Jackson Jr., you know, he's going to get fleeced out of this. Right now, uh, a lot of talking, and I sent you this today, uh, more or less just to remind us to talk about it tonight. But uh, uh, you've got guys from The Ringer, The Athletic, Yahoo, Dan Devine. Yahoo is the only one that picked Jaron Jackson Jr. as a first place vote. Michael Pina from The Ringer should have his voting rights revoked because he voted Draymond Green simply because it's a name. And uh. then. Evan Mobley is getting a lot of first place traction from the Cleveland Cavaliers when, and so one, one quick thought on that. I'll get your thoughts and I've got some too. When you're thinking defensive player of the year, you look at the team overall defense and where this person individual ranks. So like if you look at Brooke Lopez on the bucks, the bucks are the number four defensive team. He's ranked fourth in defensive player rankings. The Grizz are the third best defensive team in the league. Jaron Jackson Jr. is the third best uh, defensive rating in the NBA. The Cavs are the number one defensive team, but Evan Mobley is the 25th ranked defensive player in the league. So the thing with Mobley is the same thing that he is a more versatile um, Rudy Gobert. You what? What excites you about Evan Mobley is the shots that he alters, that they don't take because he's there. And let me tell you, they do the same thing with Jaron Jackson Jr. He leads the league in stocks. He is leads the league yeah. in defensive rating, plus minus. The Grizzlies go from the worst defense in the league to the best defense in the league. If you're talking it's about impact, swing. you're talking about impact on a team, there is no greater impact yeah. on a team than Jaron Jackson Jr.'s defense. It is not questioned. Nobody in their right mind can question it. Yeah. The thing that they continue to question is minutes played. Sure. And to me, that is bogus because it's right. not who played the most good minutes. Mm-hmm. It's who played the best. And so uh, I saw this tweeted out today, and I'm just going to read it. It's a – there's a little, there's some stats to it, so just bear with me. Rudy Gobert in 2017, he got 89 of 100 first place votes, which is basically unanimous. Mm-hmm. He played 1,820 minutes, and he played 56 games. He played 46% of the team's total minutes that year, so less than half the team's total minutes. Jaron Jackson Jr with a better defensive numbers than Rudy Gobert, he played 1,787 minutes, so about 50 less minutes. Uh, that, But he played 63 games instead of 56. He played 45% of the total minutes. So if minutes does not matter for Rudy Gobert to get 89 near-unanimous first-place yeah. votes... Yep. Then how in the world are we making this argument for Jaron? And the other thing about that, so Jaron has played a thousand minutes less than Evan Mobley and has 252 stocks this year to Evan Mobley's 174. He leads the league in blocks despite playing these minutes. How are, the, how are we not putting it. this together? That's how can it. we like, not? 
Like, it's it's quality over quantity. Like, how are we not making this connection that he played less minutes, but he was more dominant? Like you were talking about earlier, the Grizzlies with Triple J on the court is the best defensive team at 106 points per 100 possessions. The Cavs, even with Mobley on, is 109. So it's a three-point difference. Um, like, it just doesn't make sense to why this is even an argument. Like, even Brooke Lopez, like, on the Bucks. They're a better team with him on the court, but Jaron Jackson Jr. consistently makes the Grizzlies a better defensive team. He's a far superior defender than either of those guys, as shown by the better stats in less minutes on the floor. Ultimately, I think Jaron will win still because I think he's going to get enough first-place votes and a whole lot of second-place votes. Sure. Uh, so I think ultimately he will win because nobody is divide, nobody is unanimous on who the second best one is. You'll see a lot of Mobley. You'll see a lot of Brooke Lopez. You'll see a lot of Draymond. Yep. But Jaron will finish no less than second in every ballot, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so I think he'll win it. I just hate the – they have found a reason, for some reason, to not give it to Jaron Jackson Jr. And it will be just the biggest atrocity in the history of voting for – for individual awards in NBA yeah. history. I mean, you can't watch a Grizzlies game and not see that the most important player on our team is not John Morant. It is Jaron Jackson Jr. All he day, swings games more than Ja. Ja is our superstar. Ja is going to end up making 40 something million dollars a year and he will earn every every single penny of it. But Jaron Jackson Jr. being on the court yeah. is the most important thing when it comes to the Grizzlies winning and winning big. Yeah. And to take it to the playoffs real quick, it's another thing that kind of scares me about the L.A. matchup because he is going to be one-on-one with Anthony Davis, who is smart, and that he will bait Jaron. But you foul. know who else gets in foul trouble? Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis gets in foul trouble. But that's fine. We can't afford for them both to foul out. That doesn't benefit us either. You know, <laughs> you've, you, Jaron Jackson Jr. has to stay out of foul trouble. He does. And, I mean, yes, absolutely. And he's done a better job of that of late. But you're right. Offensively, defensively, we go as Jaron Jackson Jr. goes. And the only way that we're going to continue that trend is if he's on the court. And so, you right. know, we need more games like the other night against – um. Uh, it was it was against Milwaukee. He had where he, he, yeah, he didn't and he didn't get that third foul until late in the third quarter. Thank you. And it's like that's that's the Jaron Jackson Jr. we're going to need in the playoffs. We need mature trip. We need him stepping up, making plays. We need him on the court. So in the last fifteen games, if if you tell me if I'm going to give you these stats and I want to tell you, I want you to tell me that the Grizzlies don't make it to the Western Conference Finals if Jaron Jackson does this. In the last 15 games of the season, Jaron Jackson Jr. averaged 24 points, seven rebounds, three and a half stocks, that is steals and blocks, three and a half, on 56% shooting from the field, 41% shooting from three, and 78% shooting from the free throw line at 30 minutes a game. Only 30. You know his minutes are going to go up in the playoffs as long as he can stay out of foul trouble. If that 30 turns into 38, yeah. I mean, you're looking at a, averaging 30 points and 10 boards a game. Yeah. All you have to do is stay out of foul trouble. 
That's it. I mean, he averaged 25 when, when we didn't have a job for that stretch. And just the guy stepping up in bigger moments this year, he's shooting the ball better. And like we talked about, a rising tide lifts all boats. I think you've got a Luke Kennard stat for us that's really going to kind of drive some of that home too, right? Yeah, so about trade deadline, me and Rusty sat here in this podcast and told anybody that would listen, the Grizzlies don't need – it would be nice to go get OG Ananobi, you mm-hmm. know, um, but what you need is shooting. And what they went and got was the best dang shoot on the planet. Yeah. That, and they got him for nothing. A nothing. second round pick and the dry bones of Danny Green for Luke Kennard. Luke Kennard. And this podcast is now officially a Clippers fan podcast because thankfully they had him buried on the bench to where we could yeah. get him for nothing. Makes no sense to me. No. So this Luke Kennard finishes the season at 49.4% shooting from three. Ooh. That is the highest single-season three-point percentage in NBA history for a player that takes at least four three-pointers per game. So he's taking four three-pointers at least per game, and he's hitting two of them. That's wild. <laughs> but more recently, he is taking ten and making seven. Mm-hmm. You know, um, And then this just shows you the scope of how long Luke Kennard has been great. Sean Coleman at Stats SAC. On Twitter, he's a good stat nerd for all you NBA fans. This season, the NBA leader in three-point percentage, minimum 250 attempts this season, Luke Kennard. Over the past two seasons, with a minimum of 500, Luke Kennard. Over the past three seasons, minimum 750 attempts, Luke Kennard. (laughs) Over the past four seasons, with at least 1,000 three-pointers attempted, can you guess who it is? Luke Kennard. Since the start of the 2019-2020 season, Luke Kennard has made 45% of his three-pointers. That is an ungodly rate. How he is not – how it, it blows my mind. How he was not treated – I mean, this guy went uh, – I can't remember who drafted him. Detroit, I think. Yeah, right? it was Detroit. Yep. Detroit. And Detroit let him walk and mm-hmm. – you know, and then he ended up at the Clippers, and the Clippers never played him. And then for a second-round pick and a 40-year-old veteran with a bad knee, they sent him to the second-best team in the West. <laughs> and wouldn't you know it, the Grizzlies, I mean, he, he just keeps doing what he's doing. It's, and he cooked his previous team. <laughs> right. And uh, I was going to see, I don't have it here, uh, the leaders in three-point percentage this year, Uh is Desmond Bain, uh, Luke Kennard won Desmond Bain too. Yeah, man. You know, during just four or five months ago, we were bemoaning oh, this how. Is it. This is it. Individual three-point shooting percentage over the last three seasons. So since Desmond Bain's rookie year, mm-hmm. Luke Kennard, 46.2% <laughs> in three seasons. Desmond Bain, 42.5%. Third place, Steph Curry at 40. Yeah. Fourth place, Clay Thompson at 40. Yeah. I mean, two of the greatest <laughs> so, shooters of our generation. And I'll we've got see your Splash Brothers and raise you some Splash Brothers. That's it, man. <laughs> and like not even four months ago, you know, at the turn of the new year, we were bemoaning how bad this Grizzlies team was at shooting. And here we are with two of the best three-point shooters on the planet in recent memory. It's interesting. I don't think they can do this in the playoffs. But to yeah. end the season with Adams out still, they went with a three-guard lineup and a played lot. Dylan at the four where they started the game with Ja, Kennard, Bain, Dylan, and Jaron. 
I don't think that lineup can last in the playoffs defensively. Yeah. But you're talking about jaw ki- driving and kicking. I mean, it's just a fever dream. Then you've got you, all you do is you put Dylan in the corner. You got Jaron, Luke, and Dez as options to shoot those threes. That's a lineup of death if I've ever seen one. Yeah, you just basically tell Dylan like. Stay out of the lane. Everybody go around the three-point line. Jaw's going to drive. Y'all set some screens. Do whatever. Let Jaw get in the lane. He will kick it to either Bain, Kennard, or Jackson. Dylan, if you touch the ball, throw it to Bain, Kennard, Jackson, Morant. <laughs> and then go and rebound. Go yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, the old Tony Allen. You just lineup. run the baseline. Yeah, that would be a fun lineup to see against like Sacramento, who don't mm-hmm. bother playing defense anyways. Yeah, and yeah, just see how many points we get scored. <laughs> yeah, let's just go for like a 190-188 game. Yeah, set an NBA playoff record and just splash threes all night long because we know we can do it. But big things on the horizon for the Grizzlies, I think um, our ceiling is lower without Steven Adams, but I feel better going into the playoffs than I thought I would without Steven Adams. Well, my thing about Steven Adams is he is most important when – the other team has a lug Mm -hmm. and you don't really run against a big lug down low until you get to Jokic. Anthony Davis at the five would be a problem for Steven Adams. Sure. Um, He doesn't doesn't defend well outside of the paint. Right. And so he would, he would uh, deter shots at the rim and he would rebound, but staying in front of somebody like, Anthony Davis would be a problem. You know, last year, if you remember, <clears throat> Stephen Adams was, I think he had COVID uh, and he, for that first series, uh, for the first two games of that mm-hmm. first series against Minnesota. And when yeah. he came back, he was virtually made useless. Right. I'm sorry. He got COVID during the Golden State series, right? He pl- He did not play. That's right. In the first series against Minnesota after the first game because Cat being at the three-point line – barbecued him. I right. mean, that's just not Steven Adams' game. Yeah, and then we got cooked by James Loney in the second round because we didn't have a lug to put on him. Yeah, and so when you look at a first-round matchup against Minnesota this year, you know, hopefully Gobert comes back when he plays <laughs> us. Yeah. Then Steven Adams would work great. I don't think it's going to matter because Steven Adams isn't going to be back in, week, in round one, I don't think. No. But that's the advantage that Steven Adams gives you is that He's a great offensive screener, but defensively, he's uh, he can be a liability against a dynamic playmaking big man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so, get well, Stephen Adams. We're obviously a better team with Stephen Adams. We're a more dynamic team with Jaron at the five, but Stephen Adams with those putback rebounds. Um, you know, Drew. Even though he has not played, and I don't think I shared this last week. Saw the stat this week. Even though he has not played since January, he still leads the entire NBA with games of seven plus offensive rebounds, eight plus offensive rebounds, nine plus, ten plus, and eleven plus. Leads the entire NBA, and the man hadn't played a minute since January. Right, and he's a difference maker. Don't get me wrong, but he is not a. You will not in certain matchups. It will not kill you if he's there. If sure. he's not there. Sure. And I want him there because if he can't play because of matchups, then I'd like to be able to sit him on the bench. 
but I also like to have him if I need him. You know, if I need him. You Obviously, put him in late in the game, I mean, he gets that put back rebound that puts you up by two in under three seconds. Like yeah. that's what you need. This this isn't some kind of big brained analysis here. If I w- I want him to be healthy, you yeah. know, <laughs> uh, but you know, in a series against the Lakers, which I expect it to be, yeah. Um, you know, you're you're not crippled by him not being there. Right. There are better options, and <clears throat> but get well soon, Stephen Adams. All right, Uncle Buck. As after all, this is a college baseball podcast, and uh, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about some college baseball after this weekend. Big happenings around college baseball. We'll update the standings a little bit later. Uh, but what have you seen out of your Ole Miss Rebels? Uh, lost a. Tough series against Arkansas this weekend, losing two out of three. What'd you see on on the diamond for your Ole Miss Rebs? Yeah, and so it's just another one of those weekends. I feel like I'm a broken record. Uh, for the second week in a row, you win the middle game and you lose the the two on the ends. Uh, we played two on Friday, one on Saturday because of a rainout. So the first game on Friday, I mean, it was bleak. Uh, Arkansas run uh, didn't run rules. But at one point, like, we were going to go to game two. So first game started at two. Second game started an hour after that. So Haley uh, went to go get her hair done in Corinth, about 45 minutes away. And so the game plan was go get your hair done, come back, we'll go to game two. Well, in the seventh inning, the Rebs are down nine, and Arkansas is batting with a guy on third with one out. And I just called Haley, and I was like, we might as well just cancel this. They're about to run rules, and you're not going to be able to get back in time for us to get to Oxford. <laughs> for the start of the second game. Uh, and so we didn't go to the second game. Uh, they ended up not run ruling us. Uh, Kemp Alderman hit a two run home run late, which is about the only time he hits them these days is when we're <laughs> down by eight runs, uh, late in the game. Uh, Arkansas beats us 11 to two on the first game Friday. Jack Doherty, the story on him is, I mean, you know, the definition of insanity is, you know, you do the same thing over and over and expect different results. Right. Jack Doherty is who Jack Doherty is. We know this. Jack Doherty, in his best role, is a long reliever. The first guy out of the pen that can get you two, maybe three innings. Sorry about that. <laughs> a crash. Uh, yeah, my dog knocked over something in the house. I thought the whole thing was coming down. Jack, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Let me re- regroup here. Jack Doherty is meant to be a long reliever. The guy that can come out of the pen first, that can bridge you two to three innings. You can stretch him to four if you need him. The starter is struggling. The problem with Jack Doherty is when you start the game, he'll give you two to three innings, and then the wheels fall off. And that's what happened. It just kind of spun, and the Grizzlies, the Grizzlies, the Rebs just could not get anybody in the pen that could come in and fix stop the bleeding so they lost 11 to 2 on the first game Mm. the second game went much better uh Ole Miss hit the ball well Uh, Xavier Rivas has been a revelation they moved him to Saturday uh the traditional Saturday game the middle game and he's been really really good Ole Miss wins that game seven to four it was seven to two until late uh Arkansas made it respectable and Don't look now, but you had a little bit of confidence because Arkansas is a number five team. You won that game pretty convincingly, and you show up 
Saturday with a chance to win another series. And Saturday was close. Um, we started true freshman JT Quinn again for four innings. He was dealing and he was moving fast. It was really fun to watch him pitch because you can tell when a pitcher is feeling it, he is bouncing on the mound. He's getting to the rubber quick. He's asking for the ball from the catcher before the catcher even gets the ball out of his glove. You know, he's just ready and he's moving. And man, he had it working. Uh, he faced, a, as young people do, the command wasn't always there, but he kept escaping, but it caused his pitch count to get up. And then just crucial, not getting your hits late in game, Arkansas capitalized, Ole Miss didn't. There was a stat that they showed on the broadcast where they said Arkansas and Ole Miss are virtually the same team offensively. They showed batting average. There was a couple three, five points difference between Arkansas and Ole Miss. There was, you know, uh, stolen bases virtually the same. Everything's virtually the same, except for one category. And Arkansas had hit 21 more home runs than Ole Miss. They had, and let me tell you, they are not even close to first place in the SEC. I think they had 51 home runs, something like that. Uh going into that last game against Ole Miss, South Carolina's had 70. Yeah. <laughs> like, South Carolina's just absolutely obliterating a baseball. Yeah. They're seeing beach balls up there. Which, sidebar real quick, not to interrupt you, but that was one of the more frustrating things of the weekend was the fact that we were robbed of a third LSU-South Carolina game because Thursday yeah. night, South Carolina beat the brakes off of them. Friday night, LSU came back, had a phenomenal game, and then the rain. Like We need to make it to where Thursday, Friday, Saturday games can get flexed to Sunday in weather because we got robbed of a phenomenal baseball game. Yeah, that's a weird SEC rule that is just mind-boggling. It needs like, to go away. The, the whole – if you start on Thursday, you should be able to play on Sunday, period. Yes. period. And I know it's Easter, but there were teams that were playing on Easter. Kentucky and Georgia finished their series on Easter. Mm-hmm. So – then don't get don't I don't care about the travel. I don't care that you got to get back for class. Let's grow up and realize what is actually relevant here. To these, these are two kids. of the best teams in SEC in yeah. the country, and like there's a good chance we'll see one or both in Omaha. Let's let them play now. <laughs> yeah, you had number six versus number one at a game apiece to decide the series. Yeah. I mean, for me as a fan of neither, I was watching that game. Absolutely. I mean, I was <laughs> dialed. In. Absolutely. I had stayed on my TV. And I had them on my computer because I was not missing any of it. Yeah. So to put a bow on Ole Miss, it, you know, it is what it is. And the team can't figure out how to win. And that is a skill that's not talked about. Everybody can talk about batting average and ERA and all that stuff. When you're in it and you're in the game and you've got an opportunity to win it, the great, the great teams win it. They know how to win it. They can yep. block out all the noise. They can slow their heart rate. They can do what's got to be done to win. And this team, uh, more times than I can count, has either made a critical error or left the bases loaded or full when you're down by a run. Like Great teams don't do that. Mm-hmm. You, you, Good teams don't do that. Good teams win half of them. Great teams win most of them. We're winning zero of them. Yeah. And so – you know, you're left in another situation. Like I, I keep coming back to this every year, every week, and I tell you what you need to do to make the tournament. Ole Miss made the tournament last year at 14 and 16 in the SEC. Right now we're two and 10, which means you've got to go 12 and six the rest of the way. Mm. 
And whereas outside of LSU, the hardest part of your schedule is over. You but you put yourself in a situation where you have to sweep Mississippi State at Mississippi State next weekend. And State, I'll tee you up. I actually won a series. For the first time in 11 months, baby, Mississippi State won a series. We went, and on the road at that, we went to Tuscaloosa, played a struggling Alabama team that's not great. I picked them last in the SEC West, and they're heading that direction. Um, beat them on Thursday, 12-8. to 8. It well, was a game that really was never all that close. Um, we hit the ball really well Thursday night. Um, got a great pitching outing. We actually played really well. Drew, so far this year, we are 14-1 and one when we issue five or less walks. 14 it's crazy and one. how that works out, doesn't it? Less free bases, more wins. It's the wildest thing. Um, Sometimes it's C, a simple math. Right. Because see, Friday, we had more than five walks. We had three hit batters, and we lost 11-1. to one. We got run ruled in seven innings by the same Alabama team that we beat 12-8 to eight on Thursday. So coming in Saturday, it was a, it was a frustrating game Saturday. One that we won eight to four, but we, you know, you're talking about Jack Doherty earlier. We know who Landon Gartman is. Landon Gartman is good for five innings. The data this year shows that for five innings, he is solid. In that sixth inning, that third time through the lineup, usually he's going to get rocked, and it happened. We're up four to nothing, and all of a sudden, Landon Gartman gets pulled, and we're down five to four. It just blew up on us, and it's just like, oh my gosh, why can we not make this decision? Like, this is obvious. This is an easy decision. In the fifth inning, you warm up somebody and you get Landon Garman out, period. Right. What should happen? Right. But we don't do that. So we're down five to four. Um, but credit Dakota Jordan, Mississippi State freshman. He's currently on an eight-game hitting streak. He's batting 536 in that eight games, five doubles, two home runs, nine RBIs. Came up clutch at the, towards the end of that game. I don't know if you saw it was a Sports Center top ten catch. He made this incredible rob at the at the fence of a home run that would have put Alabama up late. And state won an uh, SEC baseball series, the seventh straight over Alabama. We've won seven dating back to 2016 and our first SEC series in 11 months. And we're being carried by freshmen. Uh, like I said, DJ Dakota Jordan's on an eight game hitting streak. Ross Heifall hit four home runs against Alabama, just hit two in one game, tore the cover off of baseball. Kellum Clark is hitting the ball really well. Hunter Hines is hitting the ball really well. As we talked about, Drew. Mississippi State is in the top 30 in every single offensive category that matters. We're fourth in walks taken. We're seventh in sack flies, 15th in OP, um, on base, 19th in runs scored, 21st in hits, 22nd in home runs of 53, 23rd in batting average, and 27th in slugging percentage. But we're two and 10 in the or three and nine in the SEC now. And it's all about pitching. When we pitch well, we win baseball games. And so, we're still trying to figure out our starting lineup. We've had Nate Dome in there, but he's much like Jack Doherty. He is a reliever. That's what he should be. He's the guy that comes in and he shuts the door late. He's a 7th, 8th, ninth inning, 8th, ninth inning kind of guy. Shutting the door late on guys. He's not somebody that should be ran out there as a starter. Casey Hunt came back and pitched really well Thursday night in his first start. One of his first starts back from injury. Getting some quality minutes from him is going to be huge. Um, starting to head in the right direction getting some guys that are getting healthy in the bullpen and, and pitching better. Um, but, you know, you talk about sweeping, sweeping Mississippi State. Uh, since 2016, Mississippi State is 18-5 and five against the Ole Miss Rebels. We have not lost a series against Ole Miss since 2015. 
It's an opportunity to continue winning. We're much like Ole Miss. We have got to continue winning. We've got ourselves in a better situation taking three out of uh, two out of three from Alabama, but our schedule doesn't get any easier. Ole Miss comes to town this weekend, and while y'all are struggling, it's still an offense. It's still a, a rivalry. That's gonna be a tough, tough series uh, in Starville. You got at Auburn, and then Tennessee. Go to Tennessee. Arkansas comes to town. LSU uh, is on the road. A&M comes to town to finish out the season. So. We've put ourselves in a very precarious situation, but it's doable. Our RPI is 29th right now. We're, we've got the 29th ranked RPI in the country in college baseball right now. So the opportunity is there. If we can string some wins together, you've got to take two out of three, at least from Ole Miss this weekend. you got to at least take two out of three, if not sweep Auburn uh, in the coming weeks, because you know you're going to battle against Tennessee. There's a good chance you get swept in that one. Maybe luck out and win one. The A&M series becomes a battle. You got to take one from Arkansas, but like the opportunity is there. We've got a midweek game this week against UAB, who's a sneaky good team because they beat Auburn uh, pretty handily the other night uh, last week in their midweek. So it's not a game that we can take for granted, but you got to win the games you're supposed to. So we should beat them. Got to take two out of three from Ole Miss this weekend, at least that from Auburn next. <sighs> Don't look now. But if we can win four of those six games against Ole Miss and Auburn, we're right back in the conversation right. for going to a regional. We're right back in the thick of it, as bad as this season has been. And well, so, if you win two of three against Ole Miss and Auburn, that'll put you at seven and eleven. Seven and so, eleven. Depending on how you finish the season, if that were a jumping-off point, you're not out of the out of the saying. picture for hosting. After that, your series are LSU, which you're going to get very, very likely going to get swept because it's at Alex Box. You've got Tennessee on the road, Arkansas okay, at home, and A&M <laughs> at home. So, like, you're going to lose those games, but you've got to handle business against Ole Miss, Auburn. I want to throw Arkansas in there because while they're a very good baseball team, we've historically had some success against them. And then you've got to finish strong against A&M. I don't think a and that much of a better team than us. They're 5-7 and seven in, in league play. Um, I don't think they're that much better than us. I think there's an opportunity for us to win some of those games, but it starts with getting some momentum again with LSU and uh, Tennessee looming on the schedule. You got to take care of business against Ole Miss this weekend. It's Super Bulldog weekend, the spring games this weekend. If you're in and around Starkville, get there, be there, be loud, bring your cowbell, be a good time, but got to handle business against Ole Miss this weekend. Yeah, that's the that's the thing going into this matchup in which, you know, both teams want to beat the other team more than anything in the world. But what's different this year is both teams have to win. It. Have to win. And there's, uh, there's more than pride in this series because normally this series, both teams are going to either host or be a, a two three seed at the worst. This year it's about pride, and we're fighting for our SEC playoff SEC tournament and NCAA tournament lives. Yeah, really. and four out of the next eight games for Ole Miss, not including this midweek game against Memphis and Alcorn State, four out of the next eight games are against Mississippi State. Right. You've got um, Mississippi State on the road this weekend, a uh, Arkansas State midweek game, LSU at home, and then the Governor's Cup in Pearl on April, April the 25th. And so um, – and then you look at uh, Georgia at home, at Missouri, Auburn at home, at Alabama, and that's games that you think you've got a 50-50 shot at. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's so important uh, that Ole Miss 
they Ole Miss needs to sweep state. I mean, there's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You've only got yeah. your two and ten. You know, that's yeah. the uh for us going you know, when I told when we started the season, I told you I said on the road you've got to win one. Not yeah. now. Yeah. Not now. Because yeah, uh, you us, are looking at pro- probably three losses next weekend against LSU. Mm-hmm. And so Ole Miss did get some encouraging news uh, going forward. It looks like Hunter Elliott, Mike Bianco said that Hunter Elliott will pitch in some capacity against LSU. Uh, probably either means starting on Friday on a pitch count or coming out of the pen. Uh, either way, it's not full hunter elliott yet mm-hmm. and what does full hunter elliott look like right now mm-hmm. is a valid question as well and so for Ole miss fans that look and say well we're missing our best pitcher that's true you haven't won a friday night in the sec yet and he's your friday night guy and so but that doesn't fix everything you know, yeah, for us, we got the opposite news in one of our um, stud pitchers in Pico Khan, who was set to take a big step forward this year, announced this past week on Twitter he's having Tommy John surgery, but did say he was coming back to Mississippi State next year. That's a big blow to our pitching staff. He was kind of supposed to be the anchor, supposed to be the guy that was going to step up for us this year. And without him, we're going to be hurting. But that just means guys like Bradley Lofton, who we have not seen pitch in almost two weeks, Gartman's going to have to step up. Getting um, Casey Hunt back is a big help. Um, got guys that got to step up in the absence of Pico Khan and find some ways to win. You know, you're talking about y'all got to sweep us. A sweep would obviously be very, very helpful for Mississippi State, but with an RPI of 29 and heading in the right direction, two out of three is definitely the floor. You have to get two out of three, but a sweep with what you have ahead of you. Again, with Tennessee, LSU still looming on the schedule, Arkansas, like you have like a sweep here goes a long way in your tournament hopes. Well, and you look at Ole Miss, a sweep would get you to five and ten. A sweep for Mississippi State would get you to six and nine, mm-hmm. and that gets you at a manageable because you don't have to have a winning record in the SEC to make the tournament. And ultimately, you can put rivalries aside. You can put. SEC tournaments aside, you could put College World Series aside. You got to do what you got to do, and getting in the tournament when you're playing in the SEC West is a win, and it is a can be a jumping off point. You saw Ole Miss do it last year. Yeah, just, just give me a chance to play, just and get that's to what. Hoover. Yeah, just give me a chance to play, and then we'll do the rest. And that's what happened last year for Ole Miss as the 64th team to get in the field of 64. Mm-hmm. They were sitting there on that. Sunday or Monday in watching the uh watching the selection show thinking they were all gonna go pack their bags and your boy uh Cohen decided to put Ole Miss in the field and it changed everything. You yep. know? Yeah. Um so literal history book Cinderella story happened because you got to play again. And yep. that's sometimes all the motivation you need. That's it. Just give me a shot, man. Just put us in a place to where we can make a. And we've seen Mississippi State take some real trash teams to Omaha before. Sure. Uh, <laughs> that 07 team had no business being there whatsoever. Yeah. And so, <laughs> as an Ole Miss fan, that's the one thing that's always been frustrating is that you've never found a way to get to Omaha. Mm-hmm. You've kind of had to be great and then overcome your own errors. You've never 
peaked at the right time until last year. And yeah. so uh, no it was frustrating nobody. always watching Mississippi State take some average SEC yeah. team and get hot. Yeah. And it was nice that Ole Miss did it one time. <laughs> yeah. No offense to my buddy Wynn Diggs or Wes Ray or guys with those teams, but th- that 07 team was trash. I had no business in Omaha, but we made it. Um, Baseball is all about timing. Streaky, man. Streaky. But absolutely. So speaking of that, real quick before we start wrapping up for tonight, um, 247 Sports, which is one of the premier recruiting um, websites and companies out there, they they do a lot of good for college sports came out with their top 10 traditions in college football list uh, a couple days ago. And I don't, I don't know that I agree with it. Okay. So this is something I haven't seen yet. So, um, if you, you just want to hit, hit me with it or uh, if you had to guess, what are some college traditions that you think would be in the top three to five? Just what are some off the top of your head? You got any that you can think of? Well, easily the Grove is number one. Mm. Um, is it on the list? Can't no. t- tell me if okay, all right. So, college, uh, is it um, what's the uh, the Alabama singing of that uh, uh, Alabama song at the Alabama games? Uh, no, it's not. My Dixie- dollar. No, not it's one? not Dixieland delight. I thought right. it would be, but the yeah. number one tradition according to two four seven is it the Yell leaders? Please don't tell me the Yell leaders are on. Thank the God they were smart enough. The, the Grove didn't make the top ten, which I would put that in my top ten, not necessarily one, but top ten. Yell leaders didn't make it. Thankfully, the number one tradition in college football, per, not Howard's Rock, not dotting the I, not cowbells, not Army Navy, is Sweet Home Alabama at the University of Alabama. I, see, that's not even the first song that came to my head. No, that's games. their number one tradition in college football. See, I was which, thinking eh. just SEC, but mm. the greatest tradition in college football may be uh, jump around at Wisconsin. That's number, that's number two. That got or, number two. Or uh, take me home country roads. Didn't even make Virginia. the top ten. That's another one. Or now I'm just thinking songs. Uh, Virginia Tech does uh, – Oh, is it Stone Temple Pop? Uh, 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 dun, 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 dun. Nope. It's Inner Sandman by Metallica. Is, oh, is As, that what it is at Virginia Tech? Well, okay. they run out of the tunnel of the smoke. Yeah. That was the sixth tradition. Okay. All right. So Seven here's the top ten. Here's the top ten. All right. Okay. Number one, Sweet Home Alabama. Got that wrong. At least should have been Dixie Day in the light. I agree. Because they throw in some the, colorful uh, language. The turning in there, and waving at the Iowa Children's Hospital. So they got fifth. That was fifth. That's too low. So number one is Sweet Home Alabama. Wild. I'm just uh, going to keep firing off. Uh, yeah, come on. Yeah, just keep going. And when one comes number to two, me. jump around by Wisconsin. That's a great tradition. Great tradition. That's a great tradition. Number three, dotting the I at Ohio State. That's overrated. I get it. I get it. But overrated. top ten, but not top three. It's iconic, but it's stupid. Top ten, not top three. Number it's four. sign at Notre Dame. Playoff champion today. Is that not right? even on the list. That's another oh. one, man. Okay. Uh, uh, Michigan slapping the, the – no, not yeah. there. That's another one, man. Uh, number four, Howard's Rocket, Clemson. I get That's it. Stupid. That's a no. That that is stupid. That is the stupidest tradition in college sports. What about that rock is so significant that you've got to touch it while running down a steep hill to yeah, start a game? No, not How even like an easy hill. Broken. Walk, I've been running onto the field. I mean, the and not to mention the stupidest. These. 
the stupidest look of all coaches of all time is Dabo <laughs> Sweeney sprinting down that hill. And nobody has looked like a bigger goober in the history of college sports than Dabo Sweeney sprinting down that hill. Down that hill. Like he's and seven been, years old. I've been to Tiger Stadium there in Clemson. That's a steep hill that they sprint down in cleats. Stupid. and like It's, it's just dangerous. Dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, as already mentioned, number five is the Kinnick Wave at Iowa. Number six, Inner Sandman. Number seven, the Mississippi State Cowbells. That's stupid. You're stupid. Number eight is the You can't the Army. tell me that they aren't annoying. You're brainwashed. You're brainwashed. They're absolutely not. And that, But as far as traditions. They hurt. They so hurt. Many, like just thinking about traditions, everybody knows Mississippi State Cowbells. True. It's tradition. It's, it's about like being known at, as having the only male cheerleaders in college football. It's in the same vein. It's, Not at all. Get it's, out it's of here. It's gross. Dude. Get nope, out of here. Nope. You are lying to yourself if you say you enjoy the sound of 50,000 Calvin. Absolutely. You are we lying play, to yourself. We say don't stop that, believing in the third quarter and everybody's in unison. Oh, and you also play Will the Ferrell, seventh best journey song. Great. Or when Will Ferrell comes on the it comes on the uh, the jumbo trial with Christopher Walken, he's like, I need more cowbell. And they're yeah. like, come on, man. Yeah, like, you've ruined Saturday Night Live for me. Great as well. tradition. I, you're a All hater. Right, Great going. tradition. Number seven, Mississippi Stout Cowbells, too low. Uh, number eight, the Army Navy game. Great tradition. I mean, that's not a tradition. That's a football game. But it's still traditional, I guess. Is is the Egg Bowl a tradition? <laughs> yeah, well, hey, speaking of, uh, Mississippi State had the only egg that mattered this year on Easter. But anyway, uh, number eight, Army Navy game. Number nine, another stupid tradition in college sports in the SEC West. Give me a hint. What's SEC the SEC West? Stupid tradition of the SEC West. It's is it the uh, the midnight the Texas A and M the midnight oh, thankfully, thankfully pep rally no thankfully with uh, the, like Texas Aggies Woo. yeah yeah <laughs> stupid uh, even worse it's, it's in the state the, of Alabama it's the, is it oh is it the Eagle mm-hmm. what do they do after Alabama. they win what do they do after they win at Auburn uh, oh roll tumors corner roll tumors corner that's, is that's number cool. nine I like that that's, that's unique stupid. it's unique. What, you go toilet paper your own campus when you win? Okay, like, Harvey Ur- Updike. <laughs> I got no trees. In me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got to say it. Got to say it, Paul. Uh, but, like, throwing toilet paper in your own trees after you win, like, come on, man. You're um, like cleaning it up? Yeah. I don't I'd know. roll my own yard if I somebody else would clean it up for me. <laughs> <laughs> At number 10 is the Sooner Schooner of Oklahoma. Uh, see, that's dumb. like. You missed out like the whiteout game at Penn State. But yeah, yeah, now that's that's phenomenal one. tradition. Yeah. Uh, what are we doing there? Yeah, that that's a good one. Like the uh, smoke at Miami will always be like they were the first ones to run out of smoke in Miami out of the tunnel. Big tradition there again. Play like a champion. I give my all for Tennessee when they slap that sign. The power T in, in Knoxville is a great um, tradition. Um, like there's so I, many better ones. I mean, I was even thinking. The first kind of mascot related one was the USC uh, little uh, Trojan that goes out there and sticks the knife, or oh, or the Seminole on the horse. Cheap Osceola planting his spear yeah. in midfield, yeah. man. Absolutely. Yeah, Seminole on the horseback, planting the spear. Absolutely. Uh, Buff, uh, the Buffalo running out of the field of Colorado. Oh, now that's, that's a top at, 10 one. Yeah. Bebo at Texas. The Buffalo running on the field is definitely top 10. Yeah. Uh, what's the even like. Like even the like the Auburn Eagle flying is still pretty cool unless he flies into the press box like he did that one year, but it's still kind of cool. That's I it seems like it doesn't fit. 
Because <laughs> they're the Tigers. <laughs> yeah. Like Southern Miss did it. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah Southern yeah. Miss can't afford an eagle. But <laughs> the mustard buzzards. Yeah. <laughs> uh let's see. Is there any other ones that I'm missing? Uh Virginia Tech, the inner sand man is great. Yeah, that was a that was solid top ten choice, number six there. I'm trying to think, is there anything else as far as like traditions? Calling the hogs in Arkansas. As well, annoying as it is, like that's a tradition that everybody understands. And I'm telling you, there is nothing more daunting than that, sure. I believe. Yeah. Uh with if I've never been to a game in Reynolds Razorback Stadium. I've only been to I've, War Memorial Little Rock. On TV that that is daunting when they get to call in the hogs and so I toured that when I was in high school and that stadium like goes straight up. Right. And so like there's no way for that noise to get wow. out. And then War Memorial in Little Rock, we went there my junior year and it's like it's a bigger stadium. It looks more like the Liberty Bowl is kind of spread out, but there's more people there. And when they call the hogs like chills, like it's like, OK, that's I see why that could be intimidating. Um, yeah, I uh, I've never been to War Memorial. Uh, Arkansas has one of the greatest home field advantages in the sec mm-hmm. because the climate's different there right. in the fall um I was you're way to, up there yeah i was looking to see if uh arkansas plays in war memorial again this year we use it that's usually where they play mississippi state we normally play them at war uh, memorial in little rock yeah uh they play them at home it's it says location tbd uh that's the stupidest thing Arkansas could do, and I know that that's the capital of the state, and they got a big alumni base there. Quit playing games in. Uh, they Rock. play Western Carolina and Little Rock. Yeah. Um, let's see if they play an SEC game there. I love uh, the name is he is the Buffalo that runs in Colorado. Yeah. Um, they need to quit playing games at War Memorial, and they also need to quit playing Texas A&M at Jerry World in Dallas. That's stupid. That's kind of like Alabama used to play at Legion Field, this dump of a stadium in Birmingham. Yeah. Like, why were we even doing that? And Ole Miss and Mississippi State used to play in Jackson. In like, Jackson. That's, yeah, it's stupid. Stupid. Alabama and Mississippi State used to play in Jackson. But, yeah, how about, like, yeah, missing out on the, the rambling wreck at Georgia Tech where they bring in that big wagon. We've already mentioned West Virginia country roads. Like, that's an all-time tradition. Because, like, yeah. you can't – like you can't go anywhere not seeing like West Virginia fans are going to sing country roads. They sing it at weddings. They sing it in bars. Like it happens everywhere. Um, the Oregon duck motorcycle. Have you seen yeah. that? We're at Austin stadium where he comes on a motorcycle. Pretty cool. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that we missed. We need um, to draft our mascots one day. Yeah, that'd be fun. Hawaii does a haka like that, uh, that traditional yeah, dance. That the the Samoan. Do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, they they missed out on some really good ones. Yeah. Uh, they probably kind of wanted to not make every one of them a song, you know? And so that's why they chose Jump Around, sure. which is the superior one. Absolutely. But, uh, but yeah, that they missed out. I guess traditions in that sense, I don't know if the Grove would fit that bill. Uh, and Ole Miss don't really have any game day traditions of note, like within the stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they 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 try things. You know you do the everybody put your cell phone up and you know kind of mm-hmm. paint by numbers, at you know paint by numbers thought process and trying to mm-hmm. build a tradition. Sure. Um, but yeah, that's uh one one big one. Last one I'll mention. One big one that they forgot. Speaking of like things inside stadiums, touchdown Jesus at Notre Dame. 
painted on the side of their library overlooking one of the end zones. He's got his arms up in the touchdown position. You can mm-hmm. watch it on YouTube. Arms are up like this. Mm-hmm. Touchdown Jesus at Notre Dame. Yeah. Notre Dame's got sick uniforms. You won't convince me otherwise. Yeah. As long as they're not doing that clover green. That shamrock, no. Give me the the navy jersey with those gold helmets are slick. Always have been, man. As much as I hate Notre Dame, those golden domers look pretty good. Yeah. I always laugh when Alabama was playing Manti Teo and Notre (laughs) Dame in that lopsided national championship game that uh, was overshadowed by Manti Teo's uh, fake dead girlfriend mm-hmm. uh, where the t-shirts that were made that said the golden domers versus the mobile homers <laughs> <laughs> real quick story about that I, I got to know barrett jones uh that was a center on that football team and he told the story first play of the game chance warmack he got drafted by my tennessee titans he was mm-hmm. the one that always had his shirt tucked up and that big old belly hanging out off you seen line. him recently uh-uh Go look at pictures of Chance. No, I'm sorry. That's DJ Fluker. DJ Fluker is a, yeah. a friggin' machine, yeah. man. Okay, wow. go ahead. Go ahead. Um, anyway, they walk up to the to the line, and Chance got that shirt tucked up, belly hanging out, and they walk up, and Barrett said, I'm trying to make my calls, and all I hear is Chance next to me go, hey, Manta, I'm going to make you my real girlfriend tonight. <laughs> and the first play, he pancakes him, and Eddie Lacy goes for about 30 open and drive, and he said the rest of the night, Notre Dame didn't want none. Yeah, I don't. I believe was that the game that Notre Dame never crossed the fifty-yard line. And that was LSU that never crossed the fifty-yard line against okay. Alabama. They that game was forty-two to seven, but it was twenty-eight nothing at halftime, and it all. In I like, was thinking it may have been the either Notre Dame or Texas when Colt McCoy went down. No, that, Texas came back and made a game late of that. It was the LSU Alabama national championship with Justin Jefferson. What was his name? The quarterback Jefferson was his last name. Uh, Jordan Jefferson. Jordan Jefferson was a quarterback, and they didn't cross the fifty yard line. The, the game of the century. You remember they called that the game of the century in the regular season, six to three or three, something yeah. like that, nine to six. But later that year was when they didn't cross the fifty. But no, that was uh, that was the year that. It was 28 nothing halftime, and going in the locker room, they asked Brian Kelly, what what could happen to make y'all get back into this game in the second half? And his famous quote is, if Alabama didn't play. <laughs> you know, you got to give – you know, at that point, the coaches have rehearsal lines that they say every single week. You got to give Brian Kelly credit for yeah. just seeing what was happening yeah. and calling it like it was yeah. when nobody on that Alabama team Alabama didn't play. Alabama. <laughs> was that McCarran? Or um, no, that was, that was uh, it was McCarron or it was uh, McElroy. McElroy. I can't remember which one. I think it might. It, I think it was McCarron. It was because that was the night that Alabama was up by four, t- five touchdowns, and Barrett and AJ got in a fight on the sideline. Remember, they were barking back and forth. No, they were yelling at each other. They go to the sideline. They're yelling back and forth. They got in a fight, and it was forty-two to seven, and they were yeah. fighting over a call. But that was AJ, AJ. McCarron, the only Alabama quarterback to ever win two. <laughs> so all right well that's all i've got today guys just uh if you've been with us this long i hope you love us uh we can be found on social media two buck sports podcast on twitter and instagram and two buck sports pod on facebook and then uh right here on youtube two buck sports podcast come hang out with us send us a like subscribe rate and review on apple spotify google play whatever you listen to the podcast on we would greatly appreciate that and um we're going to get this one to you early this week i haven't talked with this about rusty but i kind of feel like 
given the playoff situations we went through, we probably need to go ahead and drop it. But, drop it a little bit early and then yeah, our Wednesday so, night. Also, if you're out there, hand BB24, we still have to not heard from you. Let us know who you are so we can send we out that t-shirt. Shirt. We want to send it out. We, we want to get our brand out there. Please let us know who you are because you won our bracket challenge. And I'll tell you, uh, if you don't get it, it'll go to somebody else. Mm-hmm. It's not going to go to Clark. I don't really want to give it to Clark. No, we'll find, we'll donate to a good cause. <laughs> we'll find somebody who's got a lot of Instagram followers and we'll send it to them. <laughs> there we go. That's what I'm talking about. We'll send it to like Steven Scotch and see if he can help us build the brand. <laughs> well, no, you got to be in the bracket, you know, so, you know, there's yeah. some guys on in here that I know that, that have an, their own podcast. And so maybe I'll just, we'll send it to them. <laughs> there you go. See if we can get on some, some, some platforms there, but yeah, uh, we'll, I'm fucking. On the back of the shirt, it'll say, I lost the two bucks sports podcast, <laughs> but I still got a shirt. <laughs> there you go. So, all right, Buckets, it's been a lot of fun. You got any parting words for the listeners? Uh, that's it, man. It is my bedtime here on the East Coast, so we'll wrap it up. Uh, thanks again. If you listen this long, God bless you because you listen to us talk for over an hour and a half, and uh, uh, who knows why. But listen, we appreciate you being here. Have a great evening, and we'll see you all next week. Bye. Thank you. Yeah.